Jenny Jones and this is Jen's Green Jam. I'm the Green Party peer in the House of Lords where I do my best to hold the government to account on a whole range of issues. In my podcasts, I aim to encourage a debate based around the green perspective on various topics in British politics. And each month I bring on a guest to talk about an issue which is important to me or to the Green Party. At the end of the podcast, we will do some myth-busting by discussing how to counter some of the arguments you may hear on the, in the media or, or in the street. With that in mind, I'd like to welcome co-leader of the Green Party of England and Wales and one of the Green members from the London Assembly, Sean Berry. Hello, nice to be here. Very good to have you. Now, Sean was elected to the London Assembly in 2016 and also serves as the only Green councillor on Camden Council. Sean and her colleague Caroline Russell followed on from me and Darren Johnson, who were Assembly members for 16 years. So, <laughs> so today, Sean and I want to give you an insider look into the inner workings of the London Assembly and the importance of green representation in all sorts of areas. So, Sean, welcome to Jen's Green Jam, and thank you for joining me. And uh, do you mind if we start with the questions immediately? Oh, OK, yes. Great. Yes, um, thank you, Jenny. Are there a few things you would <laughs> like to tell us about yourself, for those who don't know you? I mean, there's probably thousands and thousands of people who know you, hundreds of thousands, but uh, is there anything in particular? Um, well, not, not as many people know me as, as you might think. Um, I get reasonably recognised in Camden, because I'm often in the local paper, but um, across London it totally depends, actually, on whether I've worked on an issue that they care about, that they've seen me at a you know speaking or a local event or supporting something that they've worked on. Then I get recognised. But, yeah, to the general public, I'm just, like, one of those, one of those random people you might see on the telly occasionally. Uh, um, is anyone ever rude to you? No, not really. No. no, no, it's fine. I mean, obviously, I get involved in issues where there are there's there's opposition. And so feelings. quite often, I will speak at um, public events where there's someone giving the opposite point of view. Um, but yeah, in general, things are quite respectful in my my bit of politics. I have to say. Um, now, the London Assembly is very different from any other local government in the UK. Different voting system, different construction. So, can you describe what the main responsibilities are? Yeah, so we're not like uh, a local council which does get to vote on what they decide. And the mayor of London is not like the mayor of a local council either. The mayor has tons and tons of executive power over London. Um, he gets to decide what the policies are. And our job is to hold him to account on those. We get a vote once a year on his budget. And we can vote it down if two thirds of us agree. And that's our, that's our one chance to actually influence his policy in a direct way. What we have to do in the London Assembly is through scrutiny, through putting forward ideas, through looking at the problems there are for Londoners, maybe highlighting something the mayor hasn't thought of. We influence him in, in softer ways, but ways that genuinely do change his policy on quite a lot of occasions. It's just not quite as um, voting and all about the numbers as it is in other places, which is actually quite good for the Greens because we have the best ideas. Um, we're, we're quite articulate in putting forward our ideas. We work hard. We, we put research in. So a lot of our ideas do make it through, even though we're only two people out of 25. Whereas if it was all about the voting, we wouldn't have very much power at all. <laughs> Uh, before we started recording, um, I was saying to you that during the, the eras of Ken and Boris, 
I mean, they were very different um, administrations in themselves. But I think there was more access than how you describe it now. Would you say that's true, that Sadiq Khan has a completely different way of running the whole administration? Yes, he's quite remote, actually. You'd be surprised, because um, like, his, his public persona is one of you know, getting in with people and doing selfies and things. With us, with the London Assembly, with, the, with everyone else in City Hall, mainly, he's quite a remote figure, actually. Um, he tends not to, to accept meetings when you ask for them. So in, in Mayor's Question Time, quite often, you'll say, you've got six minutes in Mayor's Question Time to ask him questions, and quite often your gambit to begin with during the administration we're in at the moment was, well, can I have a meeting with you to discuss that further? Because you want to be able to put um, your ideas in, in more detail than you can manage in six minutes. And he's never once accepted a meeting from us. And this isn't a green thing. He doesn't accept meetings from other Assembly members, even from Labour Assembly members who say, can I talk to you about my, my pet issue? Um, it's always the deputy mayors that he puts forward. So it's actually quite hard to, to speak to him. You have to grab him in the lift if you want to have a chat and you've got your six minutes. Um, but other than that, you are you are working through the deputy mayors and through the committees and through correspondence. So it's not, I think in your day, you were up in Ken Livingston's office and Boris, even Boris Johnson's office quite a lot, seeing them face to face. That's right. I used to wander their corridors. Um, although, having said that, it was much easier with Ken to get our ideas across because he actually listened to our ideas, whereas with Boris, uh, he'd listen, then he'd say yes, and then he'd change his mind two minutes later when somebody else said something different. Yeah, that However, must have been impossible to deal with, actually. Was, yeah. Really hard. Mm. However, Boris did do one thing for me once. He introduced me to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was a hero of mine. So I, I, I cannot explain why he's a hero, but he was, and, and Boris introduced me. So a, a big thank you to Boris for that. That's that's lovely, Jenny. Thank yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so trivial. Um, now, uh, you uh, chair committees on the London Assembly. I mean, that's one, one advantage of being two people amongst 25. You do get your share of responsibility. So do you want to tell me what you've chaired and what yes. you're doing at the moment. Yeah, so we've got quite a lot of good... We've had quite a lot of good positions in the last uh, three years, me and Caroline. Um, I have been chair of the Housing Committee for the last two years. I'm about to stop doing that. Um, I was chair, deputy chair of the Police and Crime Committee uh, for one of the years. Uh, Caroline chaired the Economy Committee for a year and she's chairing the Environment Committee currently and will do next year as well. Now, that's quite a lot of work for, for two assembly members to do um, on top of representing our constituencies and the issues that we want to work on so it's yeah it's been it's been great and we've we've done some really interesting reports i mean as chair you get to say you know what issues you want to hold the mayor to account on um who you want to come in to to be held to account and answer your questions um but also you can look wider at things that are emerging across London. So I have, um, for instance, looked at the issue of property guardians, which is uh, something you've asked, you've helped me with. Uh, we, we did a cross-party report with concern about these people who are living in um, potentially run-down buildings, empty buildings, office buildings, not residential buildings, who don't, do not have proper tenancies, they don't have proper housing rights, and there's stuff that can be done in the law to clear that up. The Assembly Committee, and this is cross-party position, said the law should be cleared up on this and clarified and, and potentially changed. And you, Jenny, got took the report and made a debate in the House of Lords about it. So that's been really good work and we're getting to the point now where we're thinking of what changes in the law to put forward, the government's line has softened. Um, that's real influence just coming out of 
the you know, a committee where I sat down and said this thing about property guardians we need to look at it I so. love actually working mm. with other greens because it does um, it's quite easy to be isolated here at the house floors I don't want people to be sorry for me but it is actually mm. quite a strange situation being one of 850 or whatever and so working with other greens is fantastic and the issue of property guardians was really good because the minister seemed to think it was actually a really sensible thing to do and you met with him afterwards mm. and you've you've linked up with other uh, people from other parties in the Lords to, to yeah, to and do that's stuff. the beauty of coming at coming at this with a an agreed cross-party report and position um, that comes out of the committee. Is people genuinely listen to you? It's not just oh, it's the Greens again. It's like oh, it's it's a, a Green with a position and a um, an agreement of. of people from all the different parties on this so yeah that's really it's been really good uh caroline's done some fantastic work looking at um plastics and the amount of things that are flushed down the toilets uh period products wet wipes um all kinds of things people just flush uh that cause immense blockages in the drains and so, end up in our rivers and and then yeah go out to go out to sea eventually and uh that's that's been really important as well that's highlighted as something that's been quite a lot forgotten actually in the plastics debate uh, something darren and i found over the 16 years was that the whole assembly because we chaired committees we brought in experts the whole assembly was actually greener than their national counterparts the other political parties and and it sounds as if that's still true i think that's largely true um obviously um with the election coming up in a year uh, the conservatives are now going into far more oppositional mode I, th I think the next year is going to be a bit different in the assembly because the Conservatives candidate for mayor is uh, an Assembly member and uh, I'm an Assembly member and I'm going to be standing for us. Um, so there's there's mayor's question time is, is going to be a lot more oppositional, I think. Um, and the Conservatives are, are trying to say they want to cancel, for example, the, the low emission zone, um, which would be... I'm not even sure they can legally do that. Um, it's very ill thought through, but they're doing it to strike a position that's in opposition to, to the mayor, and that's made them less green because we've pushed the mayor to be... To be greener on many things. So you have been selected as the Green Party. Sorry, I preempted your next you question. You did, you did, yes. Um, I'm obsessed, it's all I can think about. I, and I, I don't blame you. I mean, it's an incredible workload you've taken on as a council assembly member and now as our Green Party candidate for mayor. So what, what are your aims for this election, apart from becoming mayor, obviously? Well, obviously we should have a Green Mayor in London. Uh, it's well overdue, crikey. Um, but yeah, no, um, in this election, uh, I stood in the 2016 election after you came third and I managed to hold that third place and do um, sort of increase the gap a little bit. Um, but also I, get 5% and get our deposit back. We got back. our deposit back for the first time um, and I got the most second preference votes last time out of any candidate um, and that shows that, the, that people out there are willing to listen to us and people from all different parties as well are willing to, to say I agree with them. I'm not going to put them first but I'm going to agree with them. So it's my job I think to convert more of those second preferences into first preferences, really start chasing the heels of the Conservatives because there's no reason why we should have a two-party system that's the Conservatives versus Labour in London we're a different city than that. Um, so I want to make it a three-way race, make sure that I'm snapping at the heels of the Conservatives. But most importantly, we need to have more Green Assembly members because we well, I've been outlining the workload that me and Caroline have. With three, we can get more chairs of more things. We'll also have more staff. And it's really important to say that... The, 
it's not just about one person and you say I've got all these different jobs but in my job as an assembly member uh, we have a staff team who support us do our research um, help us deal with all the correspondence that comes in and they are very overworked as well um, and we could do with more of them and so with more assembly members we'll get more staff we'll be able to be even more professional the difference it would make to have three or four assembly members instead of two would be immense and London would really feel the difference. All the work, all the roles you have um, in work also mean that, of course that you're getting information from all over London and, and you know London probably as well as any assembly member I would say because although you don't have a constituency you do have your uh, constituents from uh, the council and so on so mm. I mean you're starting off with an incredible CV and as somebody who has done done things and achieve things yeah and, and i think that's that's right a lot of assembly members are councillors as well and so that's not a weird combination to be and i think it's really important to have that perspective a lot of the time in the committees we have say a two-hour session where we're looking at something that's to do with what councils are working on and councils will come in and quite often they'll send representatives who are trying to cast their council in the best possible light and they'll just say oh, everything's fine yes no no it's all it's all we're coping completely with this um if it's something like cuts the government are making you might not get the right answers but if you are a councillor you will know the extent to which your own council is struggling with things and so that really means you can you can discuss things with them in, in a more uh, informed. More, yeah, in a more informed way. You can ask the right questions. You can get the real picture and the real story out of them. And that's really important. Also, at council level, it helps me be a better councillor because I hear an awful lot about what's going on in other boroughs. So if Cam Camden say to me, oh, we can't do it any other way, there's no... Anyway, well, Southwark are doing it a different way, is what I can say. So that's... I think those two jobs go together really, really well. Um, the other thing you said about working together more with Greens is, is really interesting because I think at a national level, we have all these councillors on councils um, who are farther apart from each other than we are in London uh, and they're not... You mean geographically? Geographically, yeah, and they're not always linked in and not always working on the same issues at the same time. We, in the National Party and in the London Assembly, we're not necessarily hearing about their good work and their good ideas and able to take them on and take them into our chambers uh, and I'm trying to make sure that there's better linkages up between people, elected Greens at all different levels, so that we can work on the same issues at the same time and take each other's issues up to the the next level like you did with my property guardians work i'd better say i'm not an elected green of course i'm an appointed green we so elected god you Jenny. bless and that's true the green party elected me but god bless the coalition government it's probably the best <laughs> thing they did as far as i'm concerned um now uh, could i move on to some housing questions because that is something that you've worked on for years and years and years and as chair of the assembly's housing committee um, you've looked at the crisis that we've got in London's housing, but there are ramifications nationally as well, because what we're seeing here is, is probably replicated in lots of different cities. Mm, yeah, I mean, everything that happens in London happens at a greater sort of pitch. Um, for example, our rent levels in London are double the national average. So people feeling the, the squeeze, people being made homeless because they can't afford their rent, uh, landlords, and buy-to-let landlords um, evicting people, all of that is more acute in London. So we are... The, I don't know, the bellwether for the rest of the country when it comes to the housing crisis and obviously we're, we're feeling that really harshly now. One thing we're looking at in the committee at the moment is the impact of welfare reform um, on things like people becoming 
in debt, people becoming evicted, people becoming homeless, and how the councils themselves are coping with that, and how they're able to, to cope with giving people temporary accommodation, what the pressures are on people who provide temporary accommodation, how that affects people, what the delays are in them being dealt with. All of that is going to be more acute in London as a result of welfare changes like the, the, the bedroom tax and um, in the sanctions and reductions to benefits. And now with universal credit coming in, potentially people are seeing delays and cuts in their income as well. So all of that in London is going to lead to a crisis in the councils and how they can cope with the people applying to them for homelessness help much sooner than elsewhere. And so we, we saw it as our duty to really look at that and maybe sound the alarm. Now we haven't come to any conclusions yet. We're about, we just, we finished the investigation. We're just gonna write the report. But I think it's pretty clear from the meetings that we had that councils are very much struggling to cope and just the slightest increase in people coming to them for help would really start to swamp them and leave people just unable to be helped because there just aren't the, the staff in the councils, the um, the capacity to, to put them through the system and get them into ho ho help that they are actually entitled to. It's, it's quite frightening. I've always felt that housing is a, a very personal issue for you because you, I think, rented for years and you, you do still rent. I'm still a private renter. I'm still in the same flat I was three years ago. <laughs> so you've, yeah. you've experienced it firsthand mm. and I know that you, you are, you've even talked about having a renter's union. Mm. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Well, the renter's union was um, a thing I took up in the 2016 election as part of my manifesto and it came from going out and talking to people who are working in housing activism and uh, on a, often on a very local level. So groups in Hackney were Trying just to, trying to get renters together to to do things like investigate whether they're being ripped off by letting agents, and it seemed to me like what London really needed was a London-wide renters' union somewhere that that acts like a union does in a workplace that renters can come to and say, "I need help. Um, I don't know what, how to deal with this issue that I've, I'm facing. Can you point me in the right direction of lawyers and that sort of thing?" But also to campaign for changes like rent controls. I said I would fund it as a startup, but it's really really important that a renters' union's independent of the mayor, so I had to be very careful to say that. And um, yeah, the great thing is that the, the groups I was speaking to, um, alongside a group called Acorn, who were active in Bristol, but they've now moved into London and other cities, have actually set up something. They've called it the London Renters' Union. So the thing exists. That's brilliant. Um, and I'm trying to now get the mayor to put some funding and support behind it. Um, but at the moment, they, they do exist. They're, they're hanging in there by a shoestring. They're fundraising. Um, what they really need is, is some security so that they can get on with their job and spread out across London. One of the other issues, I, I, I picked this up and did a bit of work on it uh, when I was on the London Assembly, and that's housing cooperatives, which always seems such a brilliant, brilliant idea, because any time a council builds a council house and it gets sold off, it's, it's a bargain for the person who buys it. But when a housing cooperative, it's a bargain or, or it's a reasonable price forever in perpetuity. So Yeah, co-ops are a great thing because they've been around for such a long time. A, they do exist across London and there was, there's various waves of co-ops getting together. Um, and because of the way they're set up, the, the legal sort of covenants there are and the, the rules, they've been exempt from right to buy. Uh, so that they they they're still there. They're hanging in. They're a they're a permanently affordable way of doing housing. That's also really importantly for Greens, one that the residents themselves control. Um, a co-op is is a mutual. People who live in the homes have absolute 
control over what happens to them. And that's a really important thing for Greens to be pushing. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to get, there's a group called Co-ops for London who formed, um, and they are trying to get more information out to people about what co-ops are, but also trying to stimulate more co-ops to, to form and new and existing ones to expand. They're trying to find ways for co-ops who often own property to use that property to expand and buy more property, which let's face it, is how most buy-to-let landlords work. They buy one property, they start to make rent from it, and then they start to expand. Well, let's let's have our co-ops doing that as well, and they're, they're brilliant. We've also looking at the Green Party level, working with Samir Jaraj, who was our housing spokesperson, and Tom Chance, who works in community housing and used to work in our, in our office, um, working on a, a putting a policy forward to the Greens for a right to co-op instead of a right. So we'd, obviously we'd get rid of right to buy as the Green Party, but instead of that we'd in introduce a right to co-op for people who live in rented housing to be able to form a co-op and then buy out their landlord with the same kind of discount as you currently get on right to buy. Safeguards for the landlord so they don't lose money, you can't pay them less than they paid for the place, but I've done a rough estimate London could get 5,000 a year. And that's, that's a big change in terms of tenure. Do you need primary legislation for that? Yeah, I think so. I'm just seeing an opportunity yeah, to work together a, again. This is a national, <laughs> national policy, and I think right. it, would, it would require um, legislation. There are ways that, say, the Mayor of London, if, if I was the Mayor of London, I could put together a fund that would give people uh, long-term interest-free loans. That would, uh, that would have to be primary legislation. Well, there you go. Mm. I mean, if you write the bill, I'll, I'll table it. You mentioned a little bit about rent controls and so on, but, um, I mean, here in London, it, it is the most incredible problem, isn't it? And um, are you aware of any other cities in Britain that have the same problem about that? Um, well, yes. I mean, places like Manchester and Bristol, um, um, what I've said I'd do if I was mayor um, and what I keep in trying to encourage the current mayor to do is to work with the other metro mayors of other cities to argue for these powers. Now, they might not all want to use the powers, but to have the power to set rent controls, caps on rent rises even for rents in their cities is something that every mayor should really have. It's a, it's a massive lever that the government are just not willing to give people at the moment. Now, I've said to the mayor, um, why are you not campaigning on this since day one? Because he was always a little bit, even in the election campaign, uh, a little bit not turning up to the renting hustings and not really being clear the extent to which he would work on rent controls. He's said things like, um, obviously, we, we need to be able to... to, to stop rising rents but he hasn't said specifically he wants the power to control rents he was quite nervous about that in 2016 in November 2016 I got the assembly to pass a motion saying the mayor should be campaigning for more powers of course you know London should have the right to have be in control of this kind of thing and uh, the, the assembly passed it and Ever since then, I've brought it up every so often at Mayor's Question Time and said, so, Mr Mayor, what are you doing? And every time he keeps effectively, like, metaphorically patting me on the head and saying, oh, It's Sean, astonishing oh, how patronising other parties can be, yes. James. The, the government are not going to give us powers over rents. Don't be ridiculous. Why would I be? And I said, well, can you at least talk to them about it? Can you campaign? Because I'm campaigning to you. I want you putting the same pressure on the government because it is something we need. The, the Assembly agrees. Um, and... The funny thing is, the first time we had this conversation, he said, I was bringing up um, tenant fees as well, and he said, oh, Sean, don't worry, you know, don't worry, little head, um, the government's not going to give us rent control powers and it's not going to ban tenants' fees. But, of course, the government is now banning tenants' fees, thanks to, you know, campaigns within Parliament and the campaigns that we've all put on. So you can change their minds on things, and if you're not even asking, then when the situation changes, when 
the political space changes and they're willing to listen, you, you're not starting from scratch. You've got your proposals there and you're like, right now, this time, do this, please. Um, that's how you campaign. And he's, and he's not been doing it up to now. I spoke to him about it in November and actually he's come out since then. Um, I told him it was popular. Uh, I said, you, you, you would be surprised how popular rent controls are. Um, and more popular amongst older people compared with younger people, which I think is interesting. That is quite surprising. Um, and it's like, should they be introduced is the question that's asked in the polls. Um, and I think that's because older people remember when there were rent controls. So they just think it's more feasible, whereas younger people might have given up a little bit on the entire concept. They think it's too much to ask. And I think that's really sad. But they are popular amongst everybody. And so I said this to the mayor, and he said, oh, Sean, I'm not going to do policies just because they're popular. That's a green thing. But he did listen, because he went away and he commissioned his own polling on this and then came out after Christmas with a press release saying, the mayor is going to campaign for rent controls. And the second paragraph was effectively, rent controls are very popular as this research. So I won the argument. I'm so pleased. I've got it all on record that this is the way the conversation went. And I think it just, just shows that you should never give up and you should always be pestering. And this is the lesson London should learn with the government. We should always be pestering for these powers. It, that's an interesting comment. He's saying that green policy are popular because of course we are saying some really drastic radical things but on polling actually our policies do come out as really sensible that's why your standing as candidate for mayor of london is going to be really really exciting because not only do you bring all this expertise and and effectiveness knowledge um, but also of course you've got a fantastic wealth of great green policy behind you yeah. and when you get when we get the chance as greens to talk about our policies people do like them you know and and we have to convert that into votes yeah uh, i think that's absolutely right and last election um we ran partly on your record of getting things through um under previous mayors and me and caroline have got some further things through since so we've now got we'll have a 20-year record of changing things at a london level and our ideas catching on and being right in the end and last election we did put policies at the very heart of the campaign and we are like that aren't we we're not all about personalities and things so yeah we had the power of good ideas was our slogan and we had 10 or 12 really eye-catching things plus underneath those many more ideas for London um, that me and Caroline have used as our um, work plan for the last three years um, and I think we'll do the same this time obviously some of them have been taken up so we don't need to have those anymore some have not like closing city airport to build homes that would be the best idea ever. or allotments loads of allotments yeah well, there's enough room for almost everything i mean we can have cultural spaces we can have businesses we can have homes we can have green space allotments and obviously city airports more or less on an island so there's stuff we can do there's water it's just going to be amazing one of the things about the campaign for London Mayor is that the candidates tend to get an awful lot of exposure to each other and you tend to know, you go through so many um, interviews and so on together, hustings, that you tend to know each other's policies and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you are able to show that our policies are popular, then uh, the other mayoral candidates might start to swing around and, and change their minds on stuff. I think so. I think, and, and, and again, it's, it's the opportunity to, because we came third twice now, we will be in all of those debates, all of those hustings. Yes. yes. Um, and so we, we get that all this all these chances to put forward ideas and actually have those conversations with the other candidates and that's why i'm excited about this because i know the other candidates we're always in city hall together anyway so i think that you know none of us are going to be overawed by each other um it's going to be quite a 
constructive conversation at times. Um, and I, my, I see part of my job as, as trying to prevent it being uh, the Conservatives just shouting at, at Sadiq and it being yabu, yabu. Hopefully I can be the one who cuts through that with the sensible opinion, the good idea, the thing that really needs to be done and, and how you know both of them are twisting the facts and all of that kind of thing. I think it'd be brilliant. We've got our first hustings on LBC on, I think, the 7th of May, which is a year to go. Wow, so, I'll be sure to And I've been invited to that. to that, and I'm really looking forward to it. Of course you have, it. yeah. Mm. Well, it, I think it helps that the Conservatives have not selected... Well, I mean, without being unkind, they haven't selected a stellar candidate um, that is likely to overtake Sadiq Khan, the current mayor, and so, in mm. fact, there, you've got an opportunity to come second. How about that? Well, that would be amazing. I mean, obviously, the Conservatives have so much more money than us and so much more ability to spend that on reaching people. So I think it's really important that our campaign is very clever about where we go, who we try and reach and what... Um, <laughs> policies we put forwards and how we try and reach new people who can swing around to us from the other parties. Um, but you're right, Sean Bailey is the, the mayoral candidate for the Conservatives and he hasn't got the record that we have in City Hall at all. Um, if you look at the number of questions he asked the mayor, it's it, he's been there longer than us and we've asked loads more questions than him. And it's not all about asking questions but Asking questions is very much part of our work. It's how we get the figures that we base our proposals on. It's how we hold the mayor to account. And remember, he's from the Conservatives. He's been in the opposition um, for many years now, and he's, he's not achieved very much. And we've been on there only three years, me and Caroline. We've achieved an awful lot. The Greens going back 20 years. Got a huge record. So, yeah, I think we've... You know, on paper, we compete with the Conservatives this time. I'm going to move on to some of these um, myths that we hear all the time. Um, now, uh, some of them are about the London Assembly and some are about Greens. Uh, the London Assembly costs taxpayers more money than it's worth. Well, that's not true. Obviously, I would say that. But uh, we are, we're quite lean as an organisation, actually. Um, we have staff for each party group and we have staff that, that look after the scrutiny committees everyone works incredibly hard they're incredibly professional we give so much good value for the money that we have for our staff um, in total the London Assembly and everything to do with us including our um, statutory obligation to fund London Travel Watch which is the uh, the watchdog for passengers in London um, they cost one million pounds but in total it's 8.4 million pounds the, the assembly budget um, and that's out of a total budget for London that's something like 20 billion so it's yeah we are a, an absolute bargain um, but I mean look at the Garden Bridge for example the Garden Bridge was signed off by Boris Johnson in a bit of a hurry and he started fiddling with with the um, the numbers and the and the requirements to sign off extra money just before he left but since then we've challenged Sadiq Khan as an assembly on his continued funding of it um, he made one payment but then he stopped making the payments he had a review um, we have lost collectively getting on for, for 50 million pounds of um, taxpayers money towards that but it was going to cost £250 million. So I think we've saved our £8 million already by bringing that uh, project to a halt. And we're, we're continuing to hold to account the Garden Bridge Trust um, and the previous mayor to see if we can get some of it back as well. So just on that one tiny issue, we've saved money, and we do that right across the board. And it was a whim, basically, of a previous mayor, of all, Boris Johnson. All of what's come out since this investigation started, all of the um, interviews and justifications that came out of the Margaret Hodge report, 
thought. You just read them and you think, these people were making this decision based on nothing. Nothing. And I'm a trans I've been a transport campaigner for a very, very long time and I know the hoops that say a cycling scheme has to go through to get funding. Even my you know, the dreaded bypasses that I oppose all the time have a rational basis uh, that I don't particularly you know, I don't agree with the numbers or the, the assumptions behind it, but at least that there are proper numbers that make clear that it's for transport benefit that the money's being spent. And this scheme was, was due to get £60 million of, of public grants towards transport that could have gone on other things. And that just boils my blood. No, 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 me too. Um, uh, another myth is that the London Assembly doesn't affect the daily lives of Londoners. I think you've covered that issue, because clearly it does. Yeah, absolutely we do. And um, we don't just work on the big policy issues either. A lot of work we do is casework, and um, casework that looks... Um, after campaigns as well. So groups of residents who are trying to save their estates, for example, um, get a lot of support from me. Caroline uh, Russell supports um, groups who are trying to get cleaner air, trying to make the roads safer. So we make differences to people's daily lives when we help those campaigns and help them to succeed to get road safety or air pollution reduced or or in, indeed to stop somewhere someone's homes from being demolished. Well, you give those campaigns uh, legitimacy and um, a bit more coverage and and a feeling of support. I mean, it's important that uh, campaigners feel that there are some politicians somewhere that actually do believe the same things. That does and make a difference to them. And we can also um, you know, physically, not physically, whatever the word is, uh, materially help them by um, holding the mayor to account. We have the right to get answers out of the mayor's team. And so if something's going wrong in City Hall that they're worried about, we can get the answers for them. And now here's one I think you've... Um, you've completely covered which is that greens don't have enough power to change anything now that's complete nonsense isn't yeah it? we have the power of, of good ideas of, of our professionalism Rel relentlessness our, yeah relentlessness our evidence base you know all of those things and our passion as well i think everybody does recognize that about us um even opposition politicians i think you have the same thing they will give us credits and credit for um, doing our job well, even if they don't agree with what we're doing. Yes, uh, quite a lot of peers on um, on the Tory benches tell me that they, um, oh, that was quite a good idea, actually, you know, so about something very fundamentally green. Sadly, they don't vote with us. Yes, Usually, well, well, possibly <laughs> they do, possibly. Um, and lastly, that, and this is incredibly important, I think, for, for all of us, um, people sometimes say that voting green any time, but particularly in these London elections that are coming up, is a wasted vote. I think we've proved that it isn't. Um, the London Assembly is importantly elected under a system of proportional representation. So there are 14 constituency members who are elected under first past the post. So they're all Labour or Conservative, and that's what the Assembly would be like if there wasn't um, a PR element. And then people have another vote where they vote for a party, and that vote is used to top up with 11 more members to make the whole thing proportional. And that's why there's never been less than two Greens on the London Assembly, and why every vote can count towards getting us three or four next time. Um, we don't have to get that many votes to increase to that kind of level, and I think it would be um, really brilliant if we could convince more Londoners to, to give us that faith, um, to give us that vote on that party vote where, where it really, really counts, and get us more elected people so we can do, do more of what, what matters to them. And clearly, I mean, at the moment, presumably, you can't cover all the issues that the London Assembly covers because there's only two of you. Yep. So three or four Green Assembly members would be able to actually make 
a huge impact. Yeah, there are several committees we, we just don't sit on because they're smaller committees and we're not a big enough group to, to have a place and that can be frustrating sometimes. And of course you have less money because you're a smaller group and so on. And I mean, Greens are good with money. We, a lot of people think that Tories are good with money, but actually my experience... Um, elected and here in the Lords is that Tories aren't that they might be good with their own money but they're not very good with public money they don't understand all the ramifications yeah no I think that's right at the moment can I I spill the beans that they're they're cooking up an idea to uh, to create a coat of arms for the London Assembly <laughs> and quite honestly if we at this time do, should we should we be spending money on that um oh Sean, it's only a few thousand pounds the, I'm sure it's loads more than that for proper heraldry I don't know but it's I just yeah I've, we've got a, there's a um a little badge that the chair of the assembly wears yes and it comes from the old um London County Council so it's an old coat of arms so there's a desire to have a new one but seriously that what? is ridiculous. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Good. Well, I'm glad Greens are opposing it. Sean, thank you so much for coming in today. Um, it's really good talking to you, and I wish you the best of luck as candidate for mayor because it will have, I think, a, an impact on green politics, not just here in London, but nationwide. It's an amazing opportunity to do something good. I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. Great. Thank you very much.